It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. The Runout Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Outdoor Research was born from the cold, snowy womb of the Alaska Range by climbers up against some of the harshest conditions in alpinism. Since those days on the edge in the 80s, OR has committed itself to creating apparel and gear not just for keeping conditions at bay, but for making sure you have fun and look good along the way. Beauty and function are two guiding principles at OR. The result? Gear you can count on during your deepest adventures and most satisfying journeys. Check it all out at OutdoorResearch.com or your favorite local shop. In 2013, two French alpinists you probably never heard of climbed a central pillar on Annapurna in pure alpine style. They hung it out there so far that their very ascent nearly cost them their lives. In any other year, their ascent would have landed them a PLA d'Or award, if not global acclaim and sponsorships galore. The only problem? The late Uli Steck had soloed the exact same line a few days before the French climbers left base camp. Steck claimed to have soloed the 10,000-foot futuristic face in 28 hours round trip, an utterly astonishing feat that landed him a PLA d'Or the very next year. Ultimately, Steck had no concrete evidence for his ascent of Annapurna, as he didn't bring a GPS, had no camera, and his altimeter failed during the ascent. Steck, of course, died in 2017 on Nupse while acclimatizing for a link-up on Everest. He was soloing when he fell from the top of the 6,000-meter mountain. But the reasons why he fell, like the details of some of his more controversial ascents, such as on Annapurna, remain unknown. That year, on Everest, Killian Jornet, the Spanish ultra-runner and endurance mountain athlete, claimed to have climbed Everest twice within a period of five days, each time climbing solo and logging a speed that would nearly break the fastest known time on Everest. Like Steck, Jornet was also solo during his speed ascent. And like Steck, he was unable to offer much more than his word. His GPS failed, his camera failed. All that he had was his word. Question is, is that enough? This is Andrew Bisharat. The runout starts now. Haven't rumors of the veracity of Uli Steck's ascent been sort of circulating for a long time? Yeah, it's kind of, it seems to have been something that's whispered about. I think it's much more prominent in the European climbing circles. I guess the reason it's on the top of my head right now is that the new issue of Rock and Ice had an article by Ed Douglas that profiled the, or just told the story of the two French climbers who had climbed Annapurna days after Uli claimed his, um, his solo of the South Face. And it's just a harrowing story. I mean, these guys just hung it out there and had to be drug off the mountain by helicopter once they got down to base camp because their frostbite was so bad. And one of them was like hallucinating, you know, below the summit and had edema and his other partner just like slapped him in the face and told him to keep climbing. And I mean, these guys are like pushing it really, really hard. And it's probably one of the most imp- amazing just mountaineering stories I've read in a long time. And it's just sort of interesting that you, I'm only learning the details about this ascent now, you know, however many years after five the years French after, guys about the French guys. Right, yeah. Right. And it, all because it got overshadowed by this, uh, extraordinary claim that Uli made about soloing the face in 28 hours round trip. And did they, as far as you can tell, did they talk about whether their line was 
similar or do you, did, did they follow same line. same line? Yeah. But in between the two ascents there, it had snowed and like, so they, they found, um, they found some, uh, traces of Uli's ascent. I, I believe they found like a chopped ledge right before the difficulties began, but that mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. And so the rock and ice article came out and, um, just kind of shed some more light on mostly about the French climbers ascent, but just how their opinions have changed about what Uli has done over the years. One of them now doesn't believe him. One of them continues to believe him. Really? The two guys have split on their decision. Yeah, because there's some, one of them saw that there, there was, and I'm not really clear about the details about this, but there was another uh, ascent that was called into question one of Uli's ascents that was called into question on Shishapangma. And he thought, you know, if Uli can lie about one thing, then he can lie about two things. Mm -hmm. And the other one is sort of, uh, this very grizzled character. He can kind of just seems like this very individualistic person where nothing matters except his own experience. And he's just like, I don't want to bother dealing with, thinking about this really so he's going to stick to the age-old rule that we've kind of lived by i think mostly that you believe somebody when they say they did something yeah regardless of their proof or little bits and pieces of of evidence against them which is like an odd rule don't you think it it, it is i mean it is in the I, I think in the upper end of things when it when it starts to really matter and what i mean by matter i mean that in this case, if, if he did do it, then those guys didn't get the first ascent of the face. Well, and, I just and that's mean probably in general, that like, attitude, who, like right? who are you? Like, you say you did something? Like, why should I believe you? It's kind of that you... I'm playing devil's advocate I know, I, I, I'm, I am t- I'm, I'm just coming back at you on that, is that there's so many things in life, you're not prepared to prove empirically you know, every moment of your life, you're not, you know, if I said I was in the kitchen 20 minutes ago and I'm here now, like I don't have video footage of me being in the kitchen 20 minutes ago. Right. But the, the deal so most is, of us, when we're climbing, we don't, we're not worried about it. Right. Yeah. But most of us, when we're climbing, we don't just stumble into a world-class achievement. It's right. not like I'm I, a five, nine climber who goes out and on sites, on site free solos, like realization, mm-hmm. you know? So these guys are world-class athletes attempting world-class feats. They have to know that proof, the burden of proof falls on, on them. Certainly. Yeah. In the modern ages in particular, because we've been down this road over and over again, you know, since since alpinism began, you know, I I was looking back in the, in the very most famous one is the claim of Frederick Cook to climb Denali, I believe, in 1906. And you had to look that up. What's that? You had to look that I up. I totally didn't did. You? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember off my notes that I forgot to bring. But uh, you know, in 1906, he claimed to climb. Send Denali. hate mail to <laughs> in fact checking to Chris at <laughs> runoutpodcast.com. 1906. I'm sticking with it. Early 1900s. How's that? The tens back in the tens. Um, but he, you know, and, and since then he died claiming hundred percent that he'd done it. But since then it's mostly been debunked. The pictures he took of the summit are laughable when you look at them now compared to what the actual summit looks like. They were, I believe 
found to be about 19 miles away from the summit, you know, so the whole thing clearly was, uh, not a matter of like, Oh, I'm on this, I'm on this sub peak. And I didn't know that I wasn't on the top, like the sourdough ascent, uh, which these sourdough dudes just got up and hiked towards the mountain and and put this big pole on top of it. And then they came down and they realized that, Oh, that's not actually the top. So it wasn't, you know, uh, something where they claimed they did something they didn't. This They're was just clearly confused. fake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's as old, old as anything. And, you know, then his, his, uh, attempt or his discovery of the North pole was questioned, uh, three years later. And again, he went to the grave saying that, no, I did it. I totally did it. Yeah. So, there, it, sadly, there's a long lineage of liars. And my climbing. point, I guess I'm, yeah. I'm now agreeing with you because my point is, is yeah, well, how, if, it, if it started happening that long ago, then how come it's still just like, oh yeah, you can, sure, you did yeah, it. Yeah, you said you did it? Yeah, oh, you cool. You said you did oh, it? Here, Good job, Here's some buddy. free shoes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, uh, and again, we're, we're, we're talking about Uli Steck who's passed since then. And I think that well, the other the the other article that just came out, which I just read today, was about was in the new issue of Outside Magazine about Killian Jornet's 2017 Everest attempt mm-hmm. or ascent. He climbed Everest twice within a period of five days. He went there to set a fastest known time on the mountain, even though I've. I did interview him and he says that that wasn't necessarily his attempt, but it it kind of was because it was part of his whole, um, I forget. He had like a whole campaign of like doing fastest ascents of mountains around the world. And Mm -hmm. Everest was the last one on that list. So he climbed the first time he tried it. He started at this monastery, basically where the road meets the trail into base camp on the Mm -hmm. North side and did like a 24, six hour round trip ascent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Five days later, he, he wasn't really happy with that time. And that, and this time he started at advanced base camp, which is like, you know, three, th- three or 4,000 feet higher in altitude from the monastery. And then did it, uh, in 16 hours round trip, which anyone who's ever tried a fastest ascent of Everest has started from the advanced base camp. In uh, 2006, this guy, Christian Stongel, uh, climbed Everest in 16 hours and 43 minutes from advanced base camp round trip. Okay. Um, so, again, we're... Or 15 hours, 43 minutes, and Killian's was 16 hours, so he was like 15 minutes off mm-hmm. from that time. So, he didn't t- technically set a fastest known time, even though his like, press team accidentally put out a press release when he climbed it that said he did so that created some confusion in the moment but anyway the outside article that just came out sort of brings into question people whether killian actually even ascended everest because like uli stack he had no proof his camera failed his gps failed and he climbed at really odd hours he like got to the summit at like midnight or sometime in the night, both times. And so Killian is like Uli is someone who has nothing to prove. I mean, these are both guys who are world-class athletes who have been seen doing world-class achievements. And so to, I think that's where that, that's why nobody, why most of us take their word on good faith. 
But well, and certainly they have they have plenty of provable feats, exactly unquestioned yeah. feats that that rival these things or get close anyway. So it's not a huge leap for most of us who know what we know about Uli Steck through media, through watching as a sense to believe that he could have done that. Mm-hmm. It's not like Chris Kalus went to Everest and came yeah. down and said, I just sold this. No one would believe me. You would be laughed off the yeah, mountain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that's part of it, I believe, you know, the, the, the ability to believe it. And, it, and if, but if you look, I don't know if I want to go out this far. I, I'm going to anyway, but you know, if you look at cons, like true like the film festival, no, not cans, cons, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the wrath of Khan, those people. No, um, <laughs> cons. I mean, it's it's part of the game. It's part of the game. Is don't you know? If you want to fool people, you don't throw this outrageous thing out, or you do that as subterfuge for another another thing you're trying to do. But the idea is make it believable that you could have done this thing, and it certainly is. You know. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the psychology is. And I'm not saying that I necessarily feel one way or the other about Uli and Killian's ascents. I never mm-hmm. interviewed Uli about his Annapurna climb, mm-hmm. but I did interview Killian about his Everest ascents. And I mean, that's kind of the go-to philosophy as a climbing journalist is to believe people at their word because you have to. Um, because we're oftentimes out there alone and, uh, or, you know, just the, just the nature of climbing, I think is one that you just trust people at their word. Mm-hmm. But, um, there's, as you, as we've talked about, there's this long lineage of people who have fibbed or lie, outright lied about what they've done. I mean, Maestri is like the perfect. Yeah. Cesare Maestri who claimed to have climbed Saratoria in 1959 mm-hmm. and, you know, questions were, were raised immediately, but it's like the bulwark of believe what they say, you know, really did and continues to protect these people. It, it is, it's a strong, strong tradition in climbing. And, you know, even, even I think in recent years, unless you're Italian and super nationalistic, you, you've pretty much discarded Maestri's ascent in 1959, especially with Kelly Cordes's book, The Tower, where, you know, he finally kind of collected and did his own research, but also collected all the different stuff and put it in one place. And it's a pretty well, Mes- convincing. And also Messner called him out basically. Yeah. In the seventies. Yeah. That spurred Maestri in a fit of rage, basically to go back to the mountain and, you know, install a wholesale bolt ladder to the top. Yeah. Which was a complete nail against what he had done previously because the style was so different it, it it almost proved that he couldn't have done what he did previously because he didn't have the skill but but nevertheless you know that that bulwark of believing somebody at their word kept that alive for 40 years where people were still i don't know maybe he did and you don't know you can't tell even after people had climbed it and and found that the evidence of his ascent stopped a third of the way up the mountain and there was nothing else even then, you know, it was, oh, well, maybe he just was so skillful or, or oh. Tony Egger, was, his partner who was killed in the, on the descent was so skilled that he just danced up and left nothing. So it, it just keeps, you know, keeps it going in such a way that 
as adults though, when you sit back and think about it intellectually, you're, it is kind of strange that, that it's such a strong tradition when we know in, as we grow up in this world, just how many people lie about how much shit. Yeah. I mean, and why would, why would climbers be any different? It's a really relevant topic in general right now, but I mean, the burden of proof needs to be on the climber. You, that as much as we want to talk about the purity of the experience, if you're doing something that's so out there, you need to have proof that you did what you did. I think, especially if there's a financial tie to it afterward, like you're, if you're a sponsored climber is there, you know, making, he's going to make hay out of what you're trying to do and promote it to the media and have campaigns and awards and all that kind of stuff. Then there needs to be a burden of proof. Well, also with, with first ascent, because you know, it robs someone else of that accolade because mm-hmm. the second ascent obviously isn't as interesting and never has been. And so you, you've got this problem and, and it goes all the way through rock climbing. It goes through sport climbing. It goes through bouldering where if you claim to have done it and you didn't, you know, it's off the table, the first ascent and, and those yeah. competitions have happened over and over again throughout history as well, where somebody finally just claimed it. And, you know, it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. Yeah. It's, I mean, lying is stealing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you read about the, the Denali ascent with Frederick Cook and leading on to his North Pole, uh, discovery or his expedition to go to the North Pole, the sponsorship thing came into that completely because, you know, these polar ex- explorers were patronized. They, they had wealthy people or wealthy companies or the National Geographic Society giving them money to do these expeditions and success led to more and more and more of that. So it's wild that one of our first like real concrete examples of a climbing hoax was absolutely about sponsorship at the time because he you know, use that Denali thing to get the the money and the, the 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 support to go to the North Pole then. And all those explorers were always begging for money and trying to get their expeditions funded. So it's just kind of interesting that the sponsorship thing was going on a hundred years ago and it's still going on. The thing that's I think boggles my mind is if if the, it's true, you know, the detractors claims that people like Uli didn't climb the Annapurna South Face, as he said he did. Uli is unequivocally one of the most talented, was one of the most talented climbers of our generation, had nothing to prove. Uh, Why would he lie about that? And isn't that a piece of evidence for, for the folks who, you know, want to believe him ironclad? I mean, isn't that one of the major pieces yeah, of evidence that that, of saying, like, why would he do that? Right. And with Killian, it's like he didn't claim uh, he didn't claim the fastest time. He claimed 15 minutes slower than the fastest time. But he had done it. The, that was on the second time he had climbed Everest that week. Mm-hmm. It's like, why not? If he's if he's going to lie, why not just make it the fastest time? Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. You just go for it, you know? <laughs> One other thing I wanted to bring up because I did do some research back into, again, some of these other hoaxes, some of the ones we know about. Tomo Cezanne was a Slovenian climber who lied about climbing Lotse 
and was found out again based on photos and a few other things where people started to piece it together. My, my there's actually two points that I want to make is oftentimes when I read about even small versions of this in rock climbing locally, uh, an incident shoot in the nineties with Louis Anderson and, and Randy Levitt, where Louis had claimed to climb one of the hardest routes in the country and, and Randy Levitt called him out. I read about it in refiners, fire. refiners fire yeah. was the name of the route. And you know, you read about it and a lot of people just want to say, well, what does it matter? Who cares? It's just this little thing. And I just, I just tend to bristle at that because again, if we have this ironclad rule that it's your face and what you say is true, then it does matter because again, even, even if somebody here in our town is bullshitting about the climbs that they did that are, let's say 13 B no relevance to the world. I don't want to be lied to. And it's, and, and it's an insult to me to be lied to whether it's lying it's about, yeah, it's stealing. And it, it's yeah. just, it ma it does matter. Veracity matters. Honesty matters. Integrity matters. And if, if you're just going to say it doesn't matter, then I don't think you really understand climbing in a way to me. And that's what bothers me is that it has to be true or so, yeah, what are but, we up to? Yeah. But okay. So, but then there's like, there's that kind of line. And then there's like the line that we're talking about too, which is at the highest levels mm -hmm. of the sport mm -hmm. where these, you, you can't argue that Uli Steck had no respect for climbing, you know, mm -hmm. even if he did lie about what he said he did. So what, again, I come back to that question that I keep wrestling with, which is why would, what would be the motivation? And the only thing I could come up with is maybe the pressure of being the best alpinist in the world sure, and having to live up to that. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't know what that's like. You know, I imagine people who are so talented and so good at what they do that they still feel inadequate with their themselves mm -hmm. and their own achievements. And that's maybe part of the fire that keeps them pushing the limits and pushing themselves harder and harder every day. And so to come back saying, oh, I got, totally my ass kicked on this mm -hmm. you know maybe that's like insufficient and the better thing to do is just i don't know yeah and it's hard I, it's to, hard to imagine like i couldn't imagine doing that sure so it's hard for us to to put ourselves in his shoes because what kind of person has the sort of compulsion to become that good to begin with mm -hmm. and so you know what i mean it's like applying our mentality to them isn't is not a good scheme because our there may beer, be something you're drinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there must, there may be something in the whole package that gets a person that far that then, you know, is some intrinsic drive to continue to every single time top what you did before. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that when you talk about to climbers of all, you know, relative experiences, whether maybe not a true beginner, but anyone who has a little bit of skin in the game, you know, from a weekend warrior to, to whatever you talk about sponsorship there. I've had those conversations for 20 years about whether sponsorship changes the way you climb. And this idea that if you are a sponsored climber, you do have to continue to 
do better things and be better. And I think that has changed a lot within, within the sport and within the outdoor industry, whether or not you have to be the best or whether you can tell a good story about what you're, what you're doing. But nevertheless, it's a constant conversation in all sports, whether or not the money or the drive to be paid or the fame you know, changes why you do the sport. Well, when we're talking about line too, I mean, we look at the Maestre example, which is, he's got such a notorious reputation now, but I've always read that story about his ascent or attempted ascent in the fifties when Tony Egger died. And part of me has always like wondered if there's some sympathetic explanation there that I wanted to come back to Italy and give meaning to his partner's death, you know, and say, we, we conquested this mountain. We summited, you know, he didn't die in vain. And I I don't know. I think that there's maybe something to that. Right. And he, and he misjudged what it would have meant globally. And he misjudged the implications yeah, of, what yeah. the implications of claiming it yeah. would do to the community. Because once you lie, then you're like, you have to either stick to it or just be, have your reputation ruined. Sure. And so, and I think that, that, is with within anything, yeah. You know where where there's a point at which you've crossed this line, and you have to you have to basically go to the grave, or your whole life crumbles around you. And, and you know, I'm no psychologist, but I'll go ahead and give it a shot anyway. <laughs> Please, you you I'm probably on the couch right now. <laughs> you probably you're in a rocking chair. <laughs> that, all the more reason to talk to a psychologist. <laughs> the 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 truth is, is you may begin to believe it. And what, what you said is, you know, I've read that story so many times, you know, regardless of whether he summited, he ended up on the glacier completely destroyed, you know, completely spent almost dead himself. His part, he, he either watched or knows his partner was killed on the mountain. You know, whatever psychotic break he may have had could, could definitely have led to, not only con- concocting the story to honor his partner, but then beginning to believe it mm-hmm. because everyone knows when you're that pushed, you hallucinate mm-hmm. you're, you, you see things and you believe things that aren't true. Messner did. He, he you know, has this vivid memory of meeting his dead brother yeah. and obviously he died while climbing with him yeah. on uh, what mountain was that? Nanga Parbat. Yeah. I believe yeah. on Nanga Parbat. Yeah, so I mean, you see things, you believe things, and you know, so there is a there is a sympathy for the man, and again, he gets caught in his lie, and he just digs in, and he's still digging in. He's still alive, and as far as I know, you know, I don't think he fights fights the fight anymore, but he hasn't come out and and come clean either in any way. I think the problem. One of the big problems with this conversation is a lot of the accusations of disbelief come from illogical places sure, or irrational places mm-hmm. because it'll either be like, I'm so far below this person physically that I cannot conceive of them doing this, of anyone doing this, mm-hmm. or it's, I don't like that motherfucker, so I don't believe them. And so I think that that's a difficult... I think that's something to be aware of when both reading detractors, you know, accusations and also understanding your own feelings towards something. Well, and you, you, we talk about how they may have been influenced by 
the desire to still be the best or still top their last thing that they did. You know, the detractors have skin in the game a lot of times too. That's true, yeah. So you, 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 if you're going to put that motivation on, on the person who did the, the ascent, then you have to start to wonder about the motivation of the detractors, the folks that are shooting for that level of notoriety and fame. It's interesting because one of the, the, the basis of the outside article is based on this one guy's interpretation of what Killian did. And this guy has had his reputation called into question for his own speed of sense by other people. So <laughs> no, I forget it. He doesn't count that. <laughs> his opinion doesn't count. Well, I mean, his opinion probably doesn't count, but the, it, it is interesting that this amazing technology that we have just doesn't work at the exact moment it's supposed to. Well, it happens like so often. I was so curious. I was trying to f- figure out this, the, the saying about the duck. If it walks like a duck, duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And which means, you know, that, yeah, it's, it's a weird and wild coincidence. And reading back to a lot of the other things, all these other hoaxes or even these minor ones like refiner's fire, which was just a little sport climb in the middle of nowhere in a place called Apple Valley in California, which is not, you know, a prominent climbing area. Never heard of it. <laughs> but, you know, there was just this stacking up of things that quite didn't quite make sense and things that should be very easily verified. And again, if, if someone in your community is climbing that hard, it's it's noticeable. You And things start to stack up. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you're, I mean... Where I think if you're intellectual about something, part of that pursuit is to be skeptical because that that's just philosophically the way that you go at a problem or an idea or anything else. I think that's the problem with religion. That's it's not skeptical. But yeah. if you're intellectual about something, you have to sort of question those things. But then at some point, like you said, laymen like us down here, you know, who can't run around the block without like, you know, chucking a lung. We, we have to, at some point, understand that we don't understand what it's like to be that good at something. Yeah, yeah, but I, there is this, like, logical thought process that you can bring to stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that Adam Andre's climbing 515D right now, and he's by far the best rock climber on Earth. If someone, some random dude you've never heard of claims a 517A first ascent, you'd be like, yeah, you're probably lying about that. Yeah. So, I mean, but that, my point is that Uli and Killian are, are the yeah, Andra yeah. example. Yeah, exactly. They're right yeah. there. Yeah, they're right so there. So, it's totally possible. Totally. Yeah. 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 There's like a whole litany of sport climbing examples that we can go into as well. Um, but one of the ones that came, just came to mind to uh, bring a more current context in the Refiner's Fire one is the Bernabe Fernandez routes in Spain. Mm-hmm. He claimed Chilambalam in 2003 or something as like a 15 C first ascent before maybe it was like right after realization had been climbed and, um, and, and a few other ones. And one of the ones he climbed was a 15 a, I can't remember the name of it, but Andra told me that he tried this 15 a route and he's like, there's no way anyone climbed this route. I don't know if something broke or what, but it's, so so hard so right. much harder than Chilambalam and he's like Burnaby could have done Chilambalam 
it's 15 B it's not 15 C, but he could have done it. I could, it's like, I've heard it described as like an old man's five fifteen. Yeah, you great. I should go do it. It's like two hundred thirty pro- foot endurance. I could probably run. do it then. Like not like super hard. <laughs> How old do I have to be before I try it? <laughs> yeah, I think you need a few more years. Okay, cool. That's perfect. <laughs> um, I'm busy at the moment, so. <laughs> but this other fifteen A is like it's sure possible. Sure. But so who knows? I mean, well, what I was thinking of earlier, and I didn't get to it, is that. The face value thing, the, the, the idea that you can just say you did it and we believe you, it, I think it does kind of work. Although, again, that's a statement that's unprovable, but it feels like it does come out in the wash. It does. I mean, I had never heard of what's this person's name? Bernabe Fernandez. Okay. Yeah. Never heard of him. Yeah. Because it, even if everybody is like, yeah, of course, you sure you did it, Burnaby. Good job. But within the community, I'm certain that everybody was thinking, no way. And so, yeah, it was probably this little blip in the media there and and nobody ever heard about it. Mm. And I feel like, again, that's not provable because if people get away with it, then there's no way to know that. But it's so great. So many ways that it just it does come out in the wash and maybe you can never get that person to just, you know, buck up and say, okay. I lied about it. I don't know why well, I did not, it. It's not the the great thing is not that it comes out in the wash. The great thing is that you 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 can only fuck it up. You're given like all of the benefits. Mm-hmm. People believe you if you're just like some random dude who shows up and you have a face and arms and <laughs> and you wave at them. They're like, oh, that he seems like a nice person. Sure. I believe him. Right. You know, so and you, you can, can only, only right. lose that. Right, right. So you start out at a hundred percent and you can only go down from there. Right. So don't do that. Yeah, sure. Wasn't there some guy or some eight A and you claims of all these ascents and rifle that you ferreted out a few years ago? Wasn't like well, what was the guy's name or something? I'm I can't remember because this was a few years ago, but I believe his name is Nacho Sanchez. And this <laughs> That's not real. You should have known right there. Well, that's what I thought. I thought that this is not a real person um, who he, I, I think his 8A card had like, he, he had on-sited uh, dry, um, what's it called? Some 13D next to dumpster barbecue, which no one ever does. Mm-hmm. So must have had cobwebs and shit on it. And it's like, who... First of all, who even climbs that route? Second of all, who on-sites it? Who is Nacho Sanchez? But apparently he's a real person. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go to his house? He's like well-known in Catalonia. I think I asked like Sharma about him or something. Really? Yeah, he's like a real dude. So so do you think it happened? Do you think Nacho did that route? I think he did, yeah. Okay. Who knows? I mean, he might have been confused and climbed like the beast or something, but... (laughs) But let's let's bring it back to as far as I'm concerned. When I because I, we've been hearing this stuff about Uli for a while, not just a little whispers in the media, but from friends of ours who climb in that realm and actually you, you know know the man. And for me, it just it's it's never going to be proved because even if he ever would have, he can't come out and say. I lied or come out with new proof or anything like that. I suppose it could be dug out of some archives, but he would have presented it by now. Yeah. I don't know how you could prove or not disprove it. And for my, my own mental comfort, 
I'm going to tend to believe the guy. I'm an old school climber and I also have to, unless there's a smoking gun, I am also stuck in that world of, of okay, we're going to go there. But, you know, the doubts are there. But when I think about the doubts, there are other people's evidence and there are other people's motions. And I, it's, it's hard for me to make a total blank decision. So yeah, my fallback position is just that he could have, he was that good. He'd proved he was that good. So until there's just definitive evidence. Yeah, I think the uh, the only answer, in my opinion, when you're stuck in this purgatory of truth is uh, what kind of world do you want to live in? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to live in a world where we believe climbers and take them at their word. And to not do that is a world I don't want to be a part of. So I think when you're stuck with that, which way do I go on this? That's the default. Absolutely. Cause climbing does become absolutely meaningless without that, in my opinion. So don't ruin our, our, our idealistic, our little crystal shell that we live in. Don't, don't break it, please. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do send your uh, emails to Chris at runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> and if anybody wants to admit to something that they lied about, you can email us, Chris or Andrew, <laughs> at runoutpodcast.com. Is that yours? I think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you can, if, if you want to come clean, if you want a confessional and come clean about uh, an ascent that you've lied about, you can send an email to either Chris or Andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And we'll send you a PLA door. I know where to get one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast, or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com. <laughs>